BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. The first rule of good talk radio is belt out your show. (laughs) But I'm telling you, when the air is 480 parts particulate matter per cubic liter of air, which is literally 300 parts higher than the danger level, belting out your show just ruins your throat, your vocal cords, your lungs, and I just, I reached a point where I can't deal with it anymore. So I put my mask, I've got uh, one of these uh, N95 masks, I've got the mask back on so that I can breathe fresh air. And it's amazing when I take the mask off, boom, I can smell the forest fires again. And apropos of that, the world is melting down and Donald Trump is denying that climate change has anything to do with these forest fires. He came out yesterday to California, lied through his teeth, ridiculed science and scientists. This is a man who is hell-bent for leather to kill and destroy, in my opinion, as many Americans as possible. And I think he's doing it out of the psychopathology that Dr. Frank described. I don't think he's intentionally sitting around saying, oh, I'm going to kill people. But at some level, he has to know that the actions he's taking are producing that outcome. But in the category of that and of kind of schadenfreude, and I don't know if this is going to be a wake-up call to this guy or not. Back in 2019, last year, there was a bill before the Oregon legislature to put a cap-and-trade program for fossil fuels for carbon into place here in Oregon. It would have gone a long way toward stopping climate change, or at least you know as, as long a way as we can do with our 5 million people here in Oregon. And 11 Republican senators walked out. We have 30 seats in the Senate. There was one that was vacant due to a death. And because those 11 people left, there was not a quorum. So it prevented the Senate from doing anything, including the action on climate change. One of the senators, one of the guys who was one of the ringleaders in this thing, was a guy named Fred Girard. G-I-R-O-D. He's a, an Oregon senator, state senator. And yesterday, his house burned down to the ground. The Oregonian, our local newspaper, Fred Gerard stood near the edge of a steep drop between what remained of his house and the Santiam River, grasping the destruction. The walls of the one-story home had collapsed, leaving two stone columns and a chimney that rose out of the rubble. The heat and flames had twisted the frame of the deck where he would sit to watch bald eagles, ospreys, and sunrises. It hurts, Gerard said, hands in his dark denim jeans. Well, I would say to Mr. Gerard, you, number one, I'm very sorry that you lost your home. I do not wish that on anyone. I don't wish it on you, Mr. Gerard. But you owe the people of Oregon an apology. Period, full stop. 
you know, not anything that any of us would wish on anybody. I mean, it's a true tragedy. I mean, just imagine that, you, losing your home, losing your books, losing your personal papers, losing your photographs, losing, losing your memories. And in his case, he lost his three cats. He and his wife got out safely, thankfully. I'm guessing that Mr. Gerard is deeply in the pocket of or, or taking cash from. Now, this is just a guess, but I can't explain why else he would be saying this of some aspect of the fossil fuel industry. Or he's just buried deeply in the right-wing echo chamber of talk show hosts who are in part funded by the fossil fuel industry and right-wing think tanks that are funded by the fossil fuel industry. But in any case, he owes Oregonians an apology and, and maybe this will wake him up. Well, apparently not. The Daily Beast just reported that Gerard said, quote, climate change is not the problem. The environmentalists have loaded up the timber area with nothing but fuel and that cost me my house. He said, if you want to blame it on climate change, go ahead. All the belly aching is absolutely unconscionable. They make it so you can't harvest trees. It just loads up. A giant bomb of fire went off. Bottom line, I don't know of any environmentalists who are opposed to rational logging. The problem is that if you go into forests, if you leave behind the old growth or the larger trees, if you carefully manage the forest, it actually improves the health of the forest and makes it more fire resistant. Louise and I did this. When we lived in Vermont, we owned 400 acres of forest land. The land was cheap in Vermont back in the 90s. We had 400 acres of forest land, and we hired a guy with a horse. And he would go into the forest, into our forest. Now, the state gave us a 25% discount on our property taxes on that forest land if we did this. And he would go into the forest with a horse, actually I think he had two horses, and he would identify trees that he was going to cut, he'd mark them with a giant red X, and then Louise and I would walk through the forest and approve what he had done, and we didn't know what we were doing, so we just approved pretty much everything he did. This guy was an expert on forest management. And then he would take his horse, he would go in with a chainsaw, cut down those trees that he had identified as the ones that would actually open up the canopy so that the larger, older uh, hardwood trees could grow really well. And there was stands of pine and stuff. But basically, the amount of wood that he got out of that forest not only paid for his fee, but also gave us, you know, a couple thousand bucks at the end of the day. So it's profitable to log forests that way. And that's the way that everybody that I know who's, you know, a progressive person in charge of forest, you know, advocating for forest management is talking about. But the big timber companies, they don't want to do that. They want to come in and clear cut. They want to come in and just wipe everything out. You drive through Oregon, drive from here in Portland over to the seacoast, and you will pass hillsides, mountainsides, forests that are just gone. It's just empty. You know, nothing but stumps. That's not healthy either. But that's the most profitable way to log. And so when people come along and say, oh, hey, you know, you shouldn't be logging that way. You should be logging in a way that's more rational, that's more careful. They don't have to do it with horses. This guy was, you know, an old school guy. You could do it with you know, on logging trails, you could do it with tractors. You, you know, it's, it's, it's not impossible to, to log rationally. As I said, I've been there, I've done that. I used to own a chunk of forest, almost a square mile of forest. The problem is that the forest, the timber companies, 
who are basically now increasingly in bed with the fossil fuel companies, their main sales pitch is, we've got a clear cut. Because that's the most profitable way to do it. And that's essentially the subtext of Trump's message yesterday about forest management. Now, you know, Gavin Newsom kind of shut him down by pointing out, as Trump was saying, well, you got terrible forest management here in California. And Newsom said, well, 57% of the forests in, in California are owned by you, sir, by the federal government. Only 3% of the forest land in California is owned by the state. 29%, I think it is 20 some odd percent, whatever the balance is is owned by uh, private interests, like the forest that Louise and I used to own in Vermont. It's not impossible. In fact, it's not even difficult to manage forests in a reasonable way. But the big timber companies are like, if we can't clear cut it, screw it. And you know, we're gonna continue putting political pressure on and, and whatnot. And then they get these useful idiots like Fred Drudd saying, oh, you know, it's, uh, this is because of the environmentalists. No, it's not because of environmentalists. It's because of climate change. The vinters here in Oregon are documenting that the growing season for grapes has expanded, is a week to two weeks earlier than it was just in the 70s. That's climate change. That's global warming. Global warming has set California, Oregon, Utah, Colorado, parts of Arizona, parts of Montana, Washington State on fire. Bob in Asheville, North Carolina. Hey, Bob, it says here you are a uh, retired forest management instructor? Yes, sir. I spent 30 years teaching at a college here, and um, you know, fire was a big part of our curriculum. And when you got mm-hmm. pyrophytic communities like the West Coast and the Southeast, we would manage those fires, as did the Native Americans, with controlled burns. But those controlled right. burns could never be implemented in the kind of conditions that California faces with extensive droughts, high winds, heat, unbelievable heat, 120 degrees. Right. So we could never. So shouldn't they be selectively logging those things, but doing it in a way that's environmentally conscious? Well, the Forest Service, that's what makes me mad about Trump, is the Forest Service has intense regulations on management and removal of timber. You have to follow those guidelines that we've put in place since the 60s is when they started adopting some real intense environmental protections for forest management. Last year, the Trump administration wiped our environmental regulations for logging to the bone. They can do anything they want. And he stands there and says, we're not managing correctly. We can't sweep the forest. We never have swept them. We burned that understory to keep that ladder fuel down to from getting into the explosive situations they are. Yeah, there are some exploding trees, some conifers in high heat, alive ones when they're packed with resin uh, they will explode this isn't a dead trees on the forest floor but we have to maintain that duff on the forest floor for uh, um, decomposition to feed the forest and keep the soil dry uh, wet and um right. th- th- i heard a, a researcher last week talk about he's been 30 years as a cow firefighter and he said he's never seen the forest floor moisture as low as it is right now and when you get that low that forest floor will burn for weeks and weeks and weeks to have a mop-up crew come in there and try to keep those sparks down but it's because of the climate change and the global warming we're facing 
we cannot even manage those forest types anymore right. and, because and forest uh, forest flora ends up burning like the uh, peat bogs in Europe that are literally ten thousand years old. And as they dry out, they, they catch on fire for years. Actually, you're exactly right, Tom. You're exactly right. We got to face the truth, and it's the climate change that's affecting these forests. I've lost four students out west: one in Granite Mountain and one in Storm King. Two in Storm King Mountain. Forest firefighters are a brave. Brave bunch, and they're just being overused, and they're not being appreciated, and they're being. So you've had people way. that that you taught who have died in these fires. Yes, we taught hotshot training. We had one student graduate become a smoke jumper. That's a very difficult position to acquire. You got to be top of the top of the top. But we did have a lot of hotshot crew fighters, and I've lost three students that are hotshots and going That's out amazing. west from the east to fight these fires. Thank you for sharing your expertise with us, Bob. Uh, it's much appreciated. Gariel in Seattle. Yes. Am I saying your name right? You sure are, Tom. My issue is voter disenfranchisement by disaster. Sure, we got this stuff going on here in Washington, Oregon, and California. We got lots of displaced people. That also happens in other parts of the country where you get hurricanes, tornadoes, whatever. Now, all states have officials who regulate elections. They should be going public right now in front of all of the media and saying what the plan is for voting for people who are no longer where they normally live. Right. Has uh, Washington State offered any instructions to people who've lost their homes? I haven't seen anything in our news media here whatsoever. And I've been listening and watching. I tried to get through to Maria Cantwell's office, and I didn't get a call back. They're working remotely. But I think this is something yeah. that needs to be discussed right now. We need the plan in motion. They should go public. It should be addressed sooner rather than later. Yeah. You know, your senior elections official is your secretary of state. That's where I would start. I, yesterday in the Oregonian, uh, you know, our statewide newspaper, they're a, <laughs> owned by a New York company. There was a piece about how if you have lost your home to the fire, you can still vote. And they're setting up actual physical voting stations to accommodate those folks. In fact, the, the phrase I heard this morning on Oregon Public Broadcasting was, if you've lost your home, it doesn't mean you've lost your vote. So, you know, or your voice, I think, was how they said it. But, you know, Excellent. they were talking about the vote. Yeah, so that's a start. And, and I'm guessing that Gavin Newsom, I mean, you know, California, Oregon, and Washington have a relatively recent tradition, the last 30, 40 years, of really aggressively wanting democracy, wanting people to vote. Uh, contact your Secretary of State's office and see what they have to say, Gary. But I'll do that. Thank it you. It is an issue. It absolutely is an issue. Okay. Thanks a lot for the call. And let's keep in mind, these are not just the only three states that are having massive wildfires. It's happening in a dozen western states right now. And it's not because a dozen western states have not been raking their damn forest floors. It's because of global warming. Randy in Ottawa, Iowa. Hey, Randy. Is the uh, smoke hey, getting to you guys yet? Uh, no. Well, it's kind of splitting me. It's going north and it's going south right now. Yeah, it's over uh, Idaho and Montana right now. Yeah. I've got a thing here, a remedy that I used in my garage to take dust out when I sweep the floor. And it mm -hmm. will move a lot of air and filter a lot of air. Not like the HEPA filters, which is the pre-filter for my Honeywell HEPA filters. But it's just a large carbon sheet that comes in a box. Under Honeywell's name, it is Pre-Filter A. And there's another product called Best Air. 
and these sheets of carbon activated carbon on this pre-filter you can take small wire ties electrical ties and cut it to the shape of a box fan or any other fan that moves a lot of air and just take the wire ties or the electrical ties or duct tape and them down tie the pre- yeah tie the pre-filter just tie the pre-filter to the back side the suction side of the box fan or mm-hmm. any kind of a fan it will pull that move that air through there so fast even way faster than a than a home hepa filter and the activated carbon filters work great for cleaning stuff like that up so that you know it just occurred to me randy is I'm pretty sure that uh, we, one of the vacuum cleaners we have here in this house has a HEPA filter in it. And I wonder if just disconnecting it from the bag, you know, so it's not actually operating like a vacuum cleaner, and turning it on so it's just moving, you know, hundreds of cubic feet of air a minute through itself, might clean the air in the house. Vacuum cleaners create way too much heat. You'd be adding a problem to your problem. And they don't really why, move. Why is the well, heat a problem? I mean, right now I've got the air conditioner on to try to, you know, moisten the coils so that they'll catch some of yeah. those particles. Yeah. Um, I could use some heat. <laughs> these pre-filters cost nine bucks a box, and one box will cover right. a 20-inch box fan, and it will move a huh. lot of air. And you can get them at Menards or any home improvement store. Anything relating to filtering air here in Oregon, whether it's on Amazon or whether it's at Home Depot or whatever, they're sold out. They're completely You can get them online as well. Okay, thanks a lot, Randy. Good to hear from you. Joan in Rochester, Minnesota. Hey, Joan, what's up? Well, I was uh, going to talk to you uh, something about this global warming and the forest fires. You know, there's a Mm -hmm. water table in this country, and I don't know whether it has a a big part in helping water plants from from under the ground, but all the corporations that are taking the water from our water table and bottling it and selling it all over the country and depleting that water supply that belongs to you and me, and they're making money from it. And in one show I saw one time, they were even uh, had these big bubbles on a ship of water that they were taking to another country. And I wondered, is there anything that makes sense that they should have to stop doing that? Because it may be that it makes a difference with the plants in our forest and in our country. Yeah. It's not affecting our forests, but it is affecting drinking water. You know, towns drill wells into these aquifers, individuals drill wells into them. The answer to this, Joan, is stop buying bottled water. When you buy bottled water in plastic bottles, you're getting literally thousands, in some cases as many as 10,000 individual tiny microplastic particles that you are drinking and they clog up your internal organs the same way this smoke here that we've got in Oregon does from breathing it. Bottled water is not good for you. So start drinking tap water. We're listening to the Tom Hartman program. The whole bottled water business, by and large, is just insanely corrupt, particularly Nestle's role in it. Judy in Denver, it says you want to disagree with me about something? What's up, Judy? Yeah, on cap and trade, the EU tried cap and trade for, and they might still be using it, I don't know, but this was they are. before Donald took office, but they had tried cap and trade for over 10 years, 
and they found it was easily corruptible, and there was an increase of carbon into the atmosphere. And the U.S. also did a form of cap-and-trade, and they found the same thing. So Not true, I Judy. don't think it's a viable... Judy, I don't know where you're getting your information, but that's BS. Number one, yes, there have been increases in carbon in the atmosphere in the EU. It's got nothing to do with cap and trade. It's got to do with population growing and the economy growing. It's probably declined in the last year. Number two, the reason why statues and buildings in the United States that were literally disintegrating back in the 1980s and the early 1990s are no longer disintegrating because there's no longer sulfuric acid raining down on right. top of them is right. remember acid rain is because yeah. George Herbert Walker Bush put a cap and trade program in place for to control sulfur dioxide and that program is still in place and it is still preventing sulfur dioxide cap and trade does work yes you know any kind of program can be corrupted if the special interests get you know aggressive enough and yes it does create secondary markets for the traders that everybody can profit off of and they can financialize it and cap and trade isn't the best solution this no, uh, oregon no. legislature that i've been talking about here if fred gerard or whatever his name is he was opposed and in fact the entire republican party here in oregon was opposed to cap and trade around carbon emissions in oregon but they weren't making the argument that it doesn't work they were making the argument that it's some sort of weird socialist plot you know basically they were just doing the bidding of the fossil fuel industry which they're continuing to do but cap and trade is a hell of a lot better than nothing and obviously the best thing would be a tax on carbon just like you know george herbert walker bush tried or considered doing a tax on sulfur dioxide they concluded that the tax would not work it, politically it was unviable they couldn't get it passed and so they went with cap and trade and sure enough within five years we ended the acid rain problem so judy i, I don't know where you're getting your information you can tweet it to me if you can find it and i'll take a look at it and if i'm wrong i'll correct myself on the air tomorrow but i'm pretty sure that your information is not correct teresa in santa rosa california hey teresa what's up i want to know when the sewage department cleans the water and then releases it into the ocean wouldn't we be better off here in california if they cleaned the water that we use and then release it into the forest yeah it's just not physically practical i mean most of these forests that are burning right now are in the mountains so you'd have to pump it up which is a very expensive proposition but not to use it as for firefighting but every day rather than allow the forest to become drier 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 and if you're doing it slowly every day wouldn't it become economical i mean versus no, fighting it, all these it, damn fires it, it wouldn't it would it would it would consume an enormous amount of electricity to run those pumps and that would you know much of that would be probably generated by fossil fuels which would just make the situation worse teresa what's happening right now is probably similar to what has happened in parts of the country that are desert right now but we can go back and look at you know climate records from 10 11 12,000 years ago uh, during the ice age and see that for example in arizona they had forests you know, I mean, you know, while the glaciers were up in Montana, there were giant forests all across Arizona. 
as I recall, maybe it was in New Mexico, but you know, this was in Jared Diamond's book, Guns, Germs, and Steel, as I recall. And what happened was, as the climate changed around 10,000 years ago with the end of the Ice Age, as the climate changed, those forests caught on fire, they burned, they died out, they got attacked by insects, and they all eventually got replaced by swirl cactuses and, and uh, you know, and, and the, the landscape that you see in the high desert. So what's going to happen over the course of the next 100 years or so is that a lot of these forests up and down the West Coast, and frankly all over the American West, are going to be replaced by, by plants that are more drought resistant and that are more adaptable to, to a low, you know, we're not going to have these, you know, these rich, fulsome, living forests any longer. We're going to have more like, you know, high desert scrub. I mean, it's just, it, it certainly looks to me like that's the way things are going. I mean, I'm not a forest guy. I can't say that with certainty, but it seems logical. Greg in Hood River, Oregon. Hey, Greg, what's up? When you put on your mask, I'm watching you on Facebook. You need to get you an air filter for the house. I've we bought one car. on Amazon last Thursday or Wednesday, whatever, whatever day this all really started. And uh, they said it would be here the next day. Then they said it would be here the day after that. Then it was scheduled for Saturday delivery. And this morning we got a notice that it seems to have disappeared. And would we like to cancel our order? And I'm guessing that they just slapped a label on the outside of an air filter box and some enterprising Amazon employee said, oh, an air filter, I'd like one of those, and just took it home. It's the only thing I can figure out, but it has vanished. So instead of an air filter, you know, I'm, I'm running my air conditioner and, uh, you know, and I'm wearing a mask. <laughs> what can I say? But yeah, that's well, the story, Greg. I've got well, I've got them installed in my home at the store I work at, and these are the negative ion generators with HEPA filters with a UVC light inside. Oh, yeah, and have I've been yeah. yeah, I've been promoting these things as a possible uh, solution for COVID-19. Yep. And here's my reasoning. The negative ion generator, it charges everything in the air and causes everything to plate out, including right. very fine particles like viruses. Yep. And, yeah, uh, you just want to make I sure did. that it's nowhere near you, because those things were real popular back in the 1990s when they first you know, came into the marketplace. And what they found was that if they're near you, if you're inhaling the stream of ionized particles, they will stick to your lungs just as aggressively as they will stick to the plates. They stick to the walls. If you set one near your wall over after a couple of months, you'll notice your wall is getting all dirty. They will stick to anything that is not, you know, ionically charged. And so you've got to make sure that they're like on the other side of the house from you. But other than that, yeah. And the HEPA filters are great, you know, because they will get these, you know, two micron sized particles like we've got here right now. And the reason these particles are so deadly is because they are so small that they pass right through the lining of the lung into the bloodstream. And then they get into the brain, they get into the kidneys, they get into the liver, they get into the various organs and produce inflammation that can lead to things like strokes and heart attack and organ failure, basically. And so it's really important not to be breathing them. And, and here we've had, you know, 500 parts per cubic liter of air now for over five days now, I think, here in Portland. And my pets are coughing and they won't wear masks no matter how hard you try. Try and put a mask on a cat, you know, or a dog for that matter. They don't even make them. Oh, yeah. Well, in, in Hood River, it's running about 400. In the store I go to, I've put three of these HEPA filters plus three negative ion generators, and we can't even right. tell there's smoke outside. 
That's so. great. Greg, I wish, ours had, I wish ours had arrived. We got one for the studio so that Sean and Joyce have one. Got that like, you know, a month ago, a few weeks ago for COVID viruses that might be floating around the inside of the office. But I should have got one for our house at the same time. But I just did not anticipate that global warming was going to wreak this kind of havoc this quickly. Greg, I got to move along, but thank you for the call. Linwood in St. Clair Shores, Michigan. Hey, Linwood, what's up? Hi, Tom. You know, you're talking about climate change and that. As bad as these forest fires are getting out west and they're going to actually be around the world eventually in other countries, isn't it time for our federal government to order our plane manufacturers to start making thousands of planes that can drop water on these fires? That would be a good idea. Yeah, short term, it would be an excellent idea. And it's something that these forest fires didn't just happen in the last three weeks. I mean, this has been going on and getting steadily worse and worse and worse now for several decades. And certainly FEMA and other organizations. Here's how bad it is, Linwood. I tweeted this out. The entire Oregon congressional delegation, maybe we've got one Republican congressman and maybe he didn't sign this, but I think he did. He's not running for re-election. As far as I know, the entire Oregon congressional delegation signed a letter to Donald Trump asking that he would release the FEMA money that he had promised for Oregon. Our governor, Kate Brown, had declared a state of emergency and asked the federal government, FEMA, to declare a state of emergency. They did so. But there was no follow-up, no money, no troops, no help. You know, Donald Trump is very enthusiastic to send federal troops into, into Portland if he thinks there might be some black people to beat their heads in or some, some liberals that they can snatch off the streets in the middle of the night with unmarked vans. Oh, yeah, we're going to send the feds in. Yes, we're enthusiastic about that. But we got people dying in this state, and Donald Trump comes out and says, oh, you should rake your forests. This has nothing to do with global warming. There's nothing that we can do. We're just the federal government. Uh, it, it, it doesn't get more criminal and disgusting than that. Linwood, thank you for the call. Jeff in San Francisco. Hey, Jeff, what's on your mind today? How can we put pressure on Congress? I'm going to go to my next uh, Democratic committee meeting, September 23rd in San Francisco, to stop giving subsidies of, what is it, $650 billion we give to drill for more oil that's killing us? I mean, I'm in California. Yeah, to the oil industry every year. Yeah, six tenths of a trillion dollars. Good news is today we've gone from unhealthy to a little less unhealthy, (laughs) to less orange. How is it that we continue to give them these billions of dollars in subsidies instead of we put that into a new Green New Deal? We could loan it back to ourselves at 10 times that amount using a public banking. And this fallacy that we don't have enough money, how are we going to pay for it is ridiculous. And we need to knock this down. I mean, how do they get this money to them? Do you understand that? Or should I call Pocan tomorrow about this? No, there's, there's dozens. And for those people watching us, apologies, I just put my mask back on. The, the air is so dangerous here in Portland, Oregon. I mean, the danger level is above 50 parts per cubic liter of air. And we're now above 500 right or above 400 right now, almost 500. And it's just wrecking my throat and lungs. But in any case, Jeff, the way that they get that money is there's By the way, that $600 billion a year does not include the cost of the Navy protecting ships bringing foreign oil into the United States. That's just subsidies for domestic oil. And it includes things like the oil depletion allowance, which says, hey, if you drilled an oil well 
You think there's a million dollars worth of oil there. Every year as that million dollars becomes $600,000 worth of oil, we're going to give you back the $300,000 that you just lost because you depleted the oil well and sold the oil. Right? I mean, you know, it's nuts when you think about it. You know, subsidies for fracking, massive subsidies, public lands, the use of public lands, the Interior Department giving away these lands. There's dozens of different places in the tax code and in our law that give the oil industry this money. It's not just one, hey, here's $600 billion. It's done dozens, maybe hundreds of ways. It doesn't all exist at the federal level. An awful lot of it, particularly the fracking subsidies, exist at the state level. It's going to require, number one, for all of us to wake the hell up to what's going on, to realize how insanely destructive fossil fuels are. They are the source of these more severe hurricanes. They are the source of these wildfires. It's burning fossil fuels. Number one, we have to wake the people the hell up. Number two, once we've woken them up, we need to mobilize political action against our political leaders. And frankly, I think that that's happening right now. The Sunrise Movement among young people is huge. The broader climate change and global warming movement, you know, do something about it is huge. There, I don't think there was ever a better time to say, hey, there's better things we could do with that $600 billion. I mean, this is about the same size as the Pentagon budget every year, which is $700 billion. You know, we're just passing this money out to the oil industry or giving it to them in the form of, you know, reductions in taxes. I think, you know, we need to attack it in every way possible. So when you go to your Democratic meeting, Jeff, bring this up, ask the question, point it out, because it's going to take a whole lot of different things to make it all happen. Tom in Edgewater, New Jersey. Hey, Tom, what's up? I grew up in Belleville, Michigan, close to where you grew up. Mm-hmm. And my best friend's father was a top executive at Xerox. And he was talking to us when we were teenagers about Xerox having solar power. And I think they went for a big meeting in California. All the top executives went to Chicago the plane took off and the engine fell off. I think. Oh, that, that they were was that, try... uh, that DC 10. Yes. And I think they were going to try to change the way that energy was used in this country. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I remember that, yeah. that plane crash. I, you know, for weeks, uh, for years actually after that, every time I got on an airplane, I had to have at least two glasses of wine in me and I would never again fly on a DC-10. And in fact, they took that plane out of service, you know, because I think it was the right wing, the starboard wing uh, engine fell yeah. right off. And, exactly. And, uh, it was just and a, the plane flipped. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, that yeah, wasn't I know. the plane. <laughs> I still remember it. Amazing. Tom, thanks for sharing the story with us. Thanks for the call. Grant in Everett, Washington. Hey, Grant, what's on your mind today? Good day. I think that land and our natural resources as they deal with the environment is our most important subject. And to bring that subject into our houses and offices, I'd like to share that I listened to a talk by a Kamal Metali on one of these video forums that rhymes with Red Rocks. And what he was doing was taking an office building in India and with plants, uh, making it the cleanest air in India. He, He found several different types of plants that work best and they 
uh, have cleaned the air in an office building with plants. Yeah, I understand house plants can do that very well. Spider plants are particularly good at it. They cycle a lot, but you got to have a hell of a lot of plants, Grant. <laughs> it takes, I mean, I've got a little, uh, you know, a mail order plant here for my office because I thought just I needed some uh, something alive and something green in here. I have another, an arrowhead plant over there hanging in the window. And, you know, I'm, I'm slowly trying to build up the, the number of uh, plants here in my office because I just, I like it. But, it's good alternative you know, we need to, start. to a mechanical devices. It takes dozens of feet of plant leaf surface area to have any kind of impact on it, even a relatively small amount of air. But it, yes, it can be done and it does help. And, uh, you know, <laughs> thanks for, for pointing it out. Worth trying. There you go. You. I'm with you. Thank you. Jack in Putney, Vermont, my old stomping grounds. Hey, Jack, what's up? I'm going to do a rant. Um, this, this damn climate thing that we have been exposing that it's happening since the early 70s with the Green Movement and these moronic Republicans, yes, Republicans, it's always the Republicans that fight it when issues come up. One of, one of my uh, worst enemies about it is Imhoff from, I can't remember what state he's from. Mm -hmm. This is ridiculous Oklahoma. that we're still dealing with this. Ridiculous. Still having to talk about it with nothing really getting done on a level that it needs to. And so which pandemic is going to wipe us out? Climate change or this present or both of them together? It's absurd. I remember when I got I was in the service. When I got out of the service, I went out to L.A. to live and I went up on the in the hills. Somebody said, you got to go up in the hills and look at this panoramic view of L.A. And I went up there and this is in 1967. And I looked out over the horizon. And it was kind of a hot day. And I said, what the hell? It's, you could barely see anything because of the smog. And that was the first time I had ever seen it. And, and then I, I lived out in Pomona at the base of that big mountain out there, Baldy, I think it is. And mm. literally when I would drive home from work, I would forget it was there because you could never see it. And every once in a while, you could see Baldy, and I go, oh, I must be lost. Oh, I forgot right. that mountain. <laughs> yeah. So, no, this is crazy. This is absolutely crazy that we can't get this done. And I don't know yeah. what it's going to take, but uh, we cannot let this thing go on It's going to take the same thing, Jack, that cleaned up Los Angeles's air. And that's an outraged, informed, activated, politically activated populace. And I'm, I'm with you. Back in 1972, I got my pilot's license. And in 73 or 74, Louise and I flew a small plane, a Cherokee Arrow, 4175 Tango, from Lansing, Michigan to Los Angeles. And, you know, hop skipping all, over, all the way across the country with our two-year-old in the back seat. And when we were coming into land in L.A., this was 73 or 74, when we were coming into land in L.A., it was like this giant dome over the city that was kind of yellowish, orangish, grayish. Yeah. And yeah. that was that smog that you're talking about. And Californians got it, and they did something about it. They, they demanded catalytic converters because most of that was coming from tailpipe exhaust. Yeah. And the catalytic converters 
solved the problem by the early 80s. We can do this. I mean, if, if people are sufficiently motivated, and, and God knows they should be now, if you think these wildfires are merely a problem on the West Coast, I'm telling you, it's coming to a town near you. They're moving from west to east right now. And they may not hit Indiana or Michigan or Louisiana or Tennessee or Kentucky. But instead, what's going to hit those states are Durecos, if I'm saying that right. Ten-mile-wide lines of tornadoes and massive flooding and drought. I mean, the weather has gone nuts all over the United States. And it's gone nuts because of global warming. The climate change is producing its change because it's different in different places. But that's what's going on. And the sooner we friggin' figure this out, the better. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past. And the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. 
After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Tom Harbin here with you out here on the left coast where the sky is orange or brown or futsy or kind of golden, actually. It's a, a very, very strange color. Not normal. We're finding that the levels of carbon dioxide in our atmosphere right now compared to pre-industrial revolution, around the time of the American Revolution, are 147% up for carbon dioxide, 259% up for methane, that's almost tripled, and 123% higher for nitrous oxide. What does this mean and where are we going with this? Dr. Michael Mann is on the line with us, the Distinguished Professor of Meteorology, the Director of the Earth Systems Science Center at Penn State University, member of the National Academy of Sciences, author of numerous books, his most recent, The Madhouse Effect, How Climate Change is Threatening Our Planet, Destroying Our Politics and Driving Us Crazy, and the recipient of the Tyler Prize. I'm seeing this report here that says that we might hit that 1.5 degree level that the IPCC said, don't go there, don't go above that. We might hit that as early as 2024. Am I reading that right? There's a lot going on here. And the scenes that you describe and that I've seen playing out in California, we see on our television screens, the whole West Coast essentially on fire. The skies, as you note, are orange, red, yellow colors. They're, they're not supposed to be. And this is disturbingly reminiscent for me of my experience just some months earlier this year when I was doing a sabbatical in Sydney, Australia. And whether you're mm. Sydney, Australia or California, you know, climate change is here. This is the face of climate change. It's not a far off threat. It's leading to extreme weather events and disasters like we're seeing right now along the West Coast, as we also have um, seen an extremely busy um, and devastating uh, Atlantic hurricane season here in the east that's uh, likely to get even worse. So the problem's getting worse. As you know, this latest report, um, carbon dioxide concentrations continue to rise, and they will continue to rise as long as we emit carbon into the atmosphere. And there's sort of a misunderstanding that's fairly widespread here when it comes to the difference between the concentration of CO2 in the atmosphere and our carbon emissions. So our carbon emissions have actually gone down uh, about 4 or 5% this year. That's a good thing. But until we bring them down to zero, CO2 levels will continue to rise. It's sort of like the faucet um, in your sink, and you've got a tub of water. Um, As long as the faucet is on, the water level is going to rise. The water level is our CO2 concentrations. The faucet is our carbon emissions, and we've got to bring them down to zero. Now, you also asked about this, um, these dangerous thresholds that we are going to cross in the near future. Uh, if we don't bring our carbon emissions down by a factor of two within the next decade, um, then it will be very difficult to keep carbon dioxide levels below the levels that commit us to more than a degree and a half Celsius, uh, about uh, you know, a little under three degrees Fahrenheit uh, warming. And that threshold will be crossed most likely a little bit later than what this uh, recent uh, report, the WMO report, uh, claimed. They, they, they said, you know, by 2030. Um, and that reflects a bit of a misunderstanding between sort of the rates of temperature change from year to year and sort of the longer-term warming trend. Because the temperatures fluctuate quite a bit from year to year or even from one five-period a five-year period to another because of natural events like El Nino um, or volcanic eruptions. And so we measure the trend 
over you know a decade or two decades or longer. And that trend right now is about uh, 0.2 degrees Celsius per decade. We're at about 1.2 Celsius. You know, your uh, viewers can do the math if they like. But what that means is that we will cross the one and a half degree Celsius, nearly three degree Fahrenheit threshold, about 2035 at the continued, uh, you know, at the rate that we're warming right now. So it's not quite as bad as the report made it sound. The report says 2030. It's more like 2035. But, you know, we're haggling over five years. Um, Regardless of how you look at it, this is an unfolding crisis that will continue to get worse if we don't do something and do something immediately. Yeah, back a decade ago when I used to actually be willing to debate uh, these climate denying fools like Mark Morano, uh, you know, who we was all, actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he used to come on the program fairly regularly. And, and, you know, I would point out, or he would point out, he would say, you know, Hey, our carbon dioxide levels right now are, you know, more than a hundred percent what they were 200 years ago. And the weather's not that different. Why are you so upset? <laughs> and my response was always, um, you know, I think that, you know, it's like a, an ocean liner. I mean, you know, the, the atmosphere, the entire planet is this huge, massive thing. And, right. you know, you make these changes and it takes a while for those changes to filter into every dimension, every ecosystem, particularly the ones that are going to add on to the change that's already happening. And we're seeing that, right? I believe, I'd love to get your take on this. I believe we're seeing yeah. this right now. You know, over the last decade, these forests up and down the West Coast, have been drying out because of climate change. Yeah. While it didn't immediately burst into flames, it took a decade for all the trees to dry out yeah. and, and, and many of them to die off so that they're now tinder. And then that is going to be throwing more particulate matter into the atmosphere and, and it's going to reduce the, the number of, of, of trees that are, you know, cycling carbon back into the, you know, yeah, that. Right. And, and then, and the, the same thing with the peat, you know, with the, with the permafrost up in the northern climates. It takes a while for it to thaw it out, but once it thaws out, all hell breaks loose. Or do I have that wrong? No, you've got it right. We are the Titanic. You know, we are this huge ocean liner, and we've got to steer away from this iceberg that is getting closer and closer. And just as the Titanic found it couldn't steer fast enough to avoid it, you know, that's the problem that we will face if we don't steer away from the iceberg immediately, which means to, you know, ramp down our carbon emissions. Uh, There are sort of what we call threshold um, responses here. You know, sometimes we call them tipping points. The melting of the ice sheets is one of the the tipping points we worry about. If we warm the planet up enough, then we can't stop the collapse of the West Arctic and and Greenland ice sheet, and we get literally tens of feet of of sea level rise, um, meters of sea level rise. In this case, um, there may also be a threshold when it comes to wildfires. There's some, you know, Uh, indication now that once you raise temperatures enough and you dry things out enough, you get qualitatively different types of wildfires. Wildfires that burn much hotter, spread much uh, faster, cover much wider areas. And you hear firefighters now. We heard this down in Australia saying, we have never seen fires like this during, you know, their, the black summer, we're calling it, last summer in Australia when the, the entire continent caught fire, uh, you know, essentially. Um, the, the firefighters were saying, we've never seen fires like this that, that spread so quickly, that burn um, this intensely. We don't know how to combat them. They are far more deadly um, to combat. Uh, and, um, you know, that's that's what we're seeing now. So... You know, we've warmed up 
planted enough. We've dried out the subtropics, which is one of the predictions that climate models made decades ago. You know, you, we'll make it hotter, we'll make it drier in places like California and Australia. You put those two things together, you get worse wildfires. But once it gets hot enough and dry enough, and that's where we are, that's the territory we're moving into, you get qualitatively uh, worse, unprecedented wildfires that are like nothing we've seen before. And we, we're, we're now looking at two and a half uh, million acres burned in, in California alone. Right now, burning California are the second, third and fourth largest wildfire on record. The first being campfire two years ago that happened in the winter, not even the dry season. Yeah, and we're just at the very beginning now of a fire season for California. It's amazing. Dr. Mann, thanks so much for being with us today. It's great talking with you. Thank you, Tom. Always a pleasure. My pleasure. And uh, check out Dr. Mann's newest book, The Madhouse Effect. His website, Michael Mann with two N's, dot net. On the line with us is Dr. Mustafa Santiago Ali. He uh, is a former EPA official who actually helped found the EPA's Department of Environmental Justice, their Office of Environmental Justice, now has some thoughts and some concerns. His website, by the way, MustafaSantiagoAli.com, spelled pretty much just exactly the way it sounds. Twitter handle is EJINAction. Dr. Ali, welcome back to the program. I see the Trump's current EPA chief has a new vision for the agency that uh, some critics are calling apocalyptic, that it'll produce a devastated planet. First of all, welcome back to the program. And, and secondly, I'm curious your thoughts on the direction that the EPA has taken versus where it was at when you were there. It's dangerous. It's extremely dangerous for everyone in our country, but especially for our most vulnerable communities communities that have been disproportionately impacted for decades upon decades. In some instances, with this administration, they have placed crosshairs on these communities, the sacrifice zones, if you will, the dumping grounds for everything that nobody else wants in our country. And because of that, they put people in very dangerous situations, both from pollution and from viruses and from the impacts from climate change. What was the EPA doing about this when you were there? And how has that changed? Well, when I was there, you know, I started off at the Environmental Protection Agency as a student. And then over the years, you know, worked my way up the ladder. It was focused on our most vulnerable communities, on environmental justice communities. That trust that had to be built took time. It took folks being transparent and honest. It also made sure that vulnerable communities, communities of color, lower wealth communities and indigenous brothers and sisters had a seat at the table to help to frame out the policies that would impact them either in a negative or a positive direction. And of course, we were focused on the positive and making sure that, you know, we were minimizing and mitigating air pollution and water pollution and also, of course, dealing with the issues on our lands. So now this administration, as everyone has seen, you know, over 100 uh, environmental and climate uh, rollbacks from this administration have sent a very clear message. The lives in these communities don't have value. And it's easy to, to sort of analyze that, even though I know this administration places no value whatsoever on science. And of course, they have a very tenuous relationship with the law. You can very easily see we've got 100,000 people who are dying each year in our country prematurely from air pollution. 
you know, the previous administrations, both Democrat and Republicans, and we should call that out because I worked under both of those, knew that you had to figure out a way to lessen the impacts that were happening from both air pollution and water pollution and other forms of pollution. Each of those times, people were trying to figure out, well, how do we strengthen what's there so that people are more protected? This administration has taken a completely different path where the lives in those communities have been of no value because they have not been a part of overall analysis that has happened. You know, let's just real quickly run through some of the things that they've done. So, you know, we had worked before to have the clean power plan in place to to limit emissions, especially focusing on vulnerable communities, but overall to lower emissions for our country and for our planet. They did not see any value in that. When you look at the clean car rule, we know that, and I'm sorry, Tom, let's just call it out like it is. We know that systemic racism has played a role historically in many of the policies that we have, whether we're talking about transportation or housing or the environment. So when you roll back, something like the clean car rule, we know that in many instances, our roads and highways have been used to separate certain communities, move wealth into some communities and dump off pollution into others. So when you're saying that the pollution that's coming out of the back of those tailpipes, you know, it's okay for that to continue or to actually increase, then you're also sending a message to those vulnerable communities who are in many instances, the ones who are closely located Uh, to our roads and our highways that, you know, it's okay for you to have those additional impacts. Dr. Mustafa Santiago Ali, uh, which is all dot com is his website. EJIN Action, the Twitter handle. Dr. Ali, thank you so much for dropping by today. It's always great talking with you. Thank you. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Joe in Hopkinsville, Kentucky. Hey, Joe, what's on your mind? Oh, just watching uh, you having to breathe through a mask and uh, listen to everyone talk about ways we can filter the air and uh, I was thinking that working class people and their children already maybe a couple of decades now or longer have been needing to do that in inner cities and urban areas it's from a very similar pollution you know it's petrochemical industry making a fortune by polluting our air and now you know we've got carbon dioxide fueling and all carbons really fueling the uh, global warming, and afraid we're getting what I call frog, which is kind of a thing, you know, on the the frog in the pot being brought to a boil that, that, you know, when I was young, I grew up on the farm, we drank water out of a well, and now supposedly drink bottled water or filtered water or whatever, and it would be easier if uh, and more cost-effective for the society if we just didn't put the damn pollutants in there to begin with. And, uh, instead of having to take them out and now we're doing the same thing and and i'm afraid uh if not bottled air then then we're already at a point where we need filtered air similar to we just need filtered water and it's all just for maximizing the profit of certain industries and as you've said in your book in, in monopolies i haven't had time to read that yet but looking forward to it you know that's in their oligarchic power yeah control regulation yeah it's 
Here's the question, Joe. Do you think the next great product that Nestle will have, I think they're the largest purveyor of bottled water on Earth, and you know, and now they're talking about sucking water out of Lake Michigan and everything. Do you think the next great product is going to be bottled air, you know, air captured at the top of Mount Everest or something where it's truly pure? And, uh, you know, people will sit around. I, I know that they've got, you know, in Los Angeles, they have oxygen bars, right? Well, you go in and, and yep. instead of getting a, a drink, you get, you get a sip of, of straight oxygen. You know, I think Woody Harrelson even started one or ran one or something like that. You know, here we go. Here we go. And jo, uh, Joe, I think you put your finger on it. Thanks a lot for the call, Joe. It's great to hear from you. Jeff in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Jeff, what's up? Hey, good morning, Tom. Thanks for soldiering on in these horrific conditions here. You know, I think it's the fifth or sixth day in a row where we've had the worst air in the world. Yep. Horrific. But the reason I'm calling was at the end of your opening rant, you asked, what are we going to do to turn back Reaganism? And although it's only the first step, the obvious answer is we must defeat Trump in November. And a couple days ago, you retweeted a video of the Black Lives Matter protest during the Seattle Seahawks game, what they did on the opening kickoff, which was really ingenious. And and I think when it comes to this election, we can all benefit by following the mantra that the quarterback for the Seahawks uses, Russell Wilson. His mantra is preparation is separation, meaning the more you plan, the harder you work, and the better prepared you are, you're going to separate yourself and rise above your opponent. And, you know, we have the deeper, smarter, more talented team when it comes to this election. If we all focus on getting out the vote, protecting the vote, educating ourselves about waiting for all the votes to be counted, which might take a few days or or week or longer after November 3rd, if we do all that, well, Joe and Kamala make a forceful and passionate case for what they're going to do to fight the virus, fight climate change, put the country back on track. I don't think we can lose. Um, What do you think, Tom? I I think you're right, Jeff, broadly speaking. The one thing that I would be keeping my eye on, and I haven't, you know, it's just, it's so painful for me to watch Fox News that I haven't been able to do this, but people who watch CNN and MSNBC already are prepared, essentially. They know that on the night of the election, the early votes are going to come in from Trump humpers who think that there's no problem and they show up at the polls. And so in all probability, the night of the election, Trump will be ahead in the returns. And over the next three or four days, as the mail-in votes get counted, and in some states it could take up to a week or two, as those mail-in votes get counted, it's going to shift to Biden. And people watching CNN or MSNBC or the big networks understand that. But I don't know what's going on over in Fox News. Are the Fox News folks talking in terms of, you know, the evening of November 3rd, we're going to know who's our president. Are they priming people for that, which will cause people to think that as the vote shifts toward Biden, something nefarious is going on? Or are they actually informing their viewers, and the same thing for right-wing hate radio, that it's probably going to be a week, maybe two weeks, before we know who actually won this election? That's the kind of thing that concerns me, is how they twist this, how they turn it into propaganda. Jeff, thank you. Spot on. Step by step, yes. Number one step in defeating Reaganism is to defeat Donald Trump, because he's the the peak of Reaganism. The logical endpoint of the policies that Ronald Reagan put into place when he completely changed our economic and political system in 1981 is Donald Trump. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 